Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Once again, everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Gun on One. It is powered by Patterson Square Garden. I'm Derek Gunn. Well, the Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs, it was a much more entertaining game, but the end results were not what we all were hoping for, but we knew it wasn't going to happen that way. And so here we stand now. The Eagles had one in three on a three-game losing streak, and we don't know when the next win might occur. But to talk about the game gone by and to take a brief look ahead at the game coming up against the Carolina Panthers, I brought in a good friend of mine and a colleague and a guy I've had a respect for for a long time. He is an Eagles beat writer for ESPN.com. He is the one and only Tim McManus. Tim, how you doing, man? That respect is mutual, D. Gunn. I'm, I'm doing well, man. It's good to be with you. Always, man. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I, first of all, I thought Nick Sirianni, you know, we've, 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 I don't want to say trashed him, but we've chastised him for the game plan he implemented against Dallas. But I did think, he called a much better game plan against um, Kansas City. Would you agree or disagree? No, I agree with that. Um, it was a little confusing, like, why he went away from what worked so well in Atlanta. You know, they, they came out and were super efficient. Everything connected really well. It seemed to play right into Jalen Hurts' strengths. He was getting the ball out on time, uh, precision to his wide receivers, allowing them to create in space and, you know, nothing too fancy. And then uh, in that second game against San Francisco, they started taking all of these deep shots. And, you know, and the, the week after that, it was also just not nearly as kind of uh, synced up as as we saw against Atlanta. And then, uh, you know, he goes back to it and voila, that that offense starts humming again. So I uh, credit to him for uh, for recognizing kind of where he's strayed and, and getting back to it. When we look at teams in general, um, we know the game plans have to change week to week depending on the opponent you're going to play. But at some point, you begin to recognize a team's identity. And I don't know about you, but I still don't know what Nick Sirianni's identity is from an offensive mind, do you? Because like you just said, it's up, down, up, down. I don't know what it is. And it's, it's been a roller coaster so far. I, I think I have a good idea of what they want it to be or, or maybe what it, it should be, and that is kind of uh, the, the quick passing game and play action a route anchored in uh, a sturdy run attack. And I think when you have the combination of Hertz and Miles Sanders, now we see Kenny Gainwell coming along, like you can you can make your offense hum uh, if if you tether it to to that ground game and build out from there along with the the quick passing game. But what we saw against Dallas, I mean, that was one of the more egregious decision making from a head coach that that I've seen. Where you know he he ended up 
going so far from that that he was like setting history for fewest amount of running back carries in that game uh, and was mis- totally misguided in thinking that he could go blow for blow with that that potent Dallas attack, and that was the best way to do it. There's got to be a level of ball control with this club. We, we see what kind of struggles they, they started to have on defense, um, and so they have to be smart about it. But I think that's really what it is. We know that they got that RPO system. Um, they have to lean on the ground game, kind of build out from there. Wait, wait. Did you say ground game? I mean, they, they called three running plays to the running backs against Dallas and only ten running plays to the running backs against the Chiefs. Uh, you mean they, they do have a running game somewhere? Is that what you're telling me? Because I haven't seen it yet, man. Allegedly. I mean, you know, <laughs> hand it. they've had nine carries to uh, Miles Sanders over the last two weeks, D-Gone. And like, the, I know that I'm screaming into the wind here because the, the philosophy is so clear uh, and it starts at the top. Like this is Jeffrey Lurie's organization. He believes very much and and passing is the way to go in this league. I generally agree with him. Um, you know, but but everything kind of filters down from him and, and you see it reflected in the way that the Eagles go about their business on both sides of the ball. Honestly, I mean, just look at uh, the the way the defense coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, is uh, conducting his defense right now and just allowing uh, offenses to gash them right up the middle. It's almost like, you know, we'll let you run on the ground because we don't care about that. We only care about defending the pass, defending the deep ball. And on offense, we only care about, pat. you know, there's just been way too, like I agree with the sentiment of it's a passing league and you generally have to lean in that direction. But if you do it too much, then it becomes to your own detriment. You mentioned uh, Miles Sanders, which I want to get to in a little while, but you mentioned a passing game. Jalen Hurts, 387 yards, uh, two touchdowns, uh, made some big throws. But, he again, he left some big throws out there. He missed Hurts on a touchdown. He missed Greg Ward in the flats for what should have been a touchdown. You know, I know people are down on, on Jalen Hurts for a lot of reasons, but I keep going back to the kids only played eight professional games in two systems, four in this system. Do you think there's hope that his game can get even that much better? Are we seeing basically Jalen Hurts for what he's going to give the Eagles the whole season? Yeah, I mean, for a one and three start, if you're looking for a piece of hope, I think for the future, it, it rests in what we've seen out of Jalen Hurts so far. Because you're right, I mean, it's it hasn't been perfect, and, and he's been riding that roller coaster right along with uh, Nick Sirianni in terms of offensive production and consistency. But his overall numbers, now that we have a small sample size here, where it's just about a quarter of the season, 17-game schedule, so you can't say quarter mark anymore. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's kind of throwing me off my game here. But uh, but if you look at it, you know, he's compiled the most yards of any quarterback in NFL history through his through first eight starts behind only Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes. All right, so that's, that's pretty good company. You look at his completion percentage, it's up to 66% now, where it was down to 52% last year, and that was a big concern. You know, can he get that number up? And the answer is yes. Passing yards, you know, he's ninth. Uh, rushing yards among quarterbacks, he's second. Uh, quarterback rating, he's in the top 10. Uh, so he is uh, he's putting forth some numbers that make you say, OK, uh, you know, you know, some guys who put out their QB rankings at the beginning of the year didn't even have him on it. You know, <laughs> I mean, like in the 40s, uh, but he's playing right now like a I don't know, like a top 15 or so quarterback. And I think that's pretty encouraging, all things considered. Lane Johnson's unexpected absence um, forced them to make some uh, adjustments on the fly. 
And initially, I know a lot of people I'm watching social media and a lot of people are saying, oh, this is bad. You know, Jalen Hurts is going to get killed. But I thought they actually played a pretty good game tackle to tackle. I, I thought they they protected well. I thought they got out in space well, minus the um, uh, illegal man downfield a few too many times. But for the most part, I thought the passed up offensive line did a pretty decent job. Stoutland's a beast, isn't he, D-Gun? No question about it. He's a, he's a beast. I mean, if you think about the the uh, hand that was dealt to that offensive line. So so Johnson, it appears, we're still trying to figure out the exact personal reason, but, you know, the, the most important thing is that everything is okay on, on his end and that he uh, returns soon and everything's fine. Uh, but apparently it seemed like all the news came down, whatever it was, like just a couple hours mm-hmm. before the game. So you have Jack Driscoll, who's coming off IR, for a pec strain, he was playing guard all week, and then they're like, "Now you're going to tackle." I mean, that's a that's a big last minute adjustment, and for him to be ready for that moment, and yeah. for the rest of the pieces to kind of fall in place and to not get crushed. I mean, one, it speaks to how bad the pass rush is for Kansas City. Like, how could they not take <laughs> advantage of that, man? <laughs> uh, but but number two, it's a credit to Jeff Statlin and the way that he has these guys prepared almost for any situation that comes up. You look at the way the game unfolded, and I know the Eagles only had three first-half possessions, but I was screaming, run the ball more. Could they have run the ball more, or were they forced to play catch-up? They kept it close for the first half, but were they forced to play catch-up to the point where they couldn't run the ball if they wanted to much more? No, I mean, I think they definitely could have run the ball more. And even in the fourth quarter, I think it was like 28 to 23 at one point, so it's not like the Chiefs were really running away with it until the very end there. And it's getting a little tiresome to hear – Sirianni's explanation for this of the RPOs. Well, we consider them runs, but what does that mean? Like it's either a run or it's not a run. Uh, And I think that what they're really missing out on right now and what I think has been the biggest surprise of the season so far is the lack of usage with Miles Sanders. I think he's a good player. I really do. And he's not getting the opportunity to establish himself in a game. I mean, if you only have two carries one week and 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 seven the next, uh, if you don't get your first carry until midway through the second quarter against Dallas, I mean, that's really that's underutilizing one of your top options on offense. And that's really, I mean, if you're looking for criticisms of Sirianni, like the the lack of tight end usage uh, heading into that Kansas City game, and the the lack of of uh, usage for for Miles Sanders is is chief among the criticisms for me. I'm glad you brought up Miles Sanders again, and, and I don't get this. The, the, the kid touched the ball five times against Dallas, ten times against Kansas City. But I don't understand Sirianni's reasoning for not utilizing his, his talents more so. Um, it, to me, it already seems like he favors Gainwell more than he does Miles Sanders. Is that a fair statement? Well, I think what's definitely fair is that even though Gainwell is getting fewer snaps than Sanders, and he had he had 18 fewer snaps against Kansas City and still outproduced Sanders in the game. And I think the reason is because he goes in with a purpose. Like, they have plays designed to go to him, and they utilize that. Whereas the excuse is with Sanders, well, uh, Hertz could have handed off, but the defense showed something else, and so he ended up throwing it. But don't you need, just like your game-planning game well into the game don't you also need to game plan Sanders into the game and stop making an excuse of oh we would have if the defense reacted differently like you don't want the defense to dictate 
you know, your offense. You want to you want to get your playmakers uh, out in space and give them a chance to be difference makers for you. And I think that Sanders can be that. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the the game planning, certainly, you know, they're they're maximizing the opportunities for Gainwell, and they're not doing the same thing for Miles Sanders right now. Yeah, I, I don't want to jump the gun four games into the season. Hey, you get that? Jump the gun. You you, you got that? No like, pun intended. <laughs> But I don't want to jump the gun too soon. But 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 now it seems to me like Sirianni's Sirianni's basically saying maybe Miles Sanders isn't the kind of back that I want in my offense, or maybe he doesn't have the skill set that I'm looking for in the type of back I want in my offense. And I'm thinking Miles Sanders could play in just about anybody's offensive scheme. Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing that I will say is that we shouldn't take anything away from Gainwell because for a rookie to, uh, to have a year off from college because of, you know, no he opted question. Out COVID and then he comes in here and he's making this, this impact right away. Like that really speaks well to him. And I think that he is hitting the hole harder than Sanders. Like if you see Sanders is more of the, the patient style running back, I think D gum where, you know, he likes to see it develop and then, you know, do a hop step and almost like sometimes looks like shady a little bit uh, with the way that, you know, he's bouncing around and sometimes he's bouncing too much, I think, instead of just kind of shooting right through. But I agree with, with the general point, you know, if he warms up a little bit, it's not always going to look like that. He's going to get his, his rhythm and that he should be a back that can play in any style of offense, especially because, you know, when we asked him about this offense before, uh, this summer is like, I love it. Cause it reminds me of what I did at Penn state. Uh, and he had some success when he had the opportunity there. So I, you know, I don't think it's a mismatch in, in scheme. I just think it's a, it's a matter of opportunity. Well, we don't know what this team is going to look like week to week, but we do know one thing based off of four games. Uh, it's going to leave us scratching our heads in some way, shape, or form after the dust settles. And speak, speaking of scratching our heads, let's go over to the defense now. Uh, Jonathan Gannon's defense. I mean, two games in a row. This I don't. This defense couldn't stop you or me. Uh, from what we've seen, they've given up over forty points. The team has given up over forty points in two consecutive games now. Um, Jonathan Gannon spoke to the media on Tuesday. Give me your general impression of what you learned or didn't learn from Jonathan Gannon after that press conference on Tuesday. Here's what I don't get about his approach right now. Uh, he said before the year started that he didn't have a scheme in mind, that he was going to see what kind of talent he had on defense and shape the defense accordingly. And he reiterated that today. Uh, and yet, when you look at what he's doing, that doesn't add up because he's had the same approach the first four weeks. And the general philosophy seems to be have the two safeties back deep uh, to keep the the big play off of you, which makes sense. I mean, you know, philosophically, I get that. It's a it's about the X plays in this in this game, and you want to try to limit those, and and that worked pretty well the first two weeks. Uh, but the issue is, is that teams have figured out pretty quickly. All right, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bust you up the gut. Like you you're you don't have the personnel to prevent us from running wild all over you if that is your chosen approach. And so here we come with this conflict of you don't have enough, you don't have good enough linebackers. That's nothing new in Philadelphia. We're used to that now, right? The gun, like How, Howie Roseman has spent the least amount of, of resources on the linebacker position out of any team in the NFL. 
And that's, that's right. something that he's had for years running now. That's nothing new, but they remain 32nd in there. But your safeties are like all the way back towards the goal line, right? And your defensive line is is not able to able to do it all on their own. So you're asking your linebackers to manage the middle of the field, trying to funnel everything into the middle. But you're funneling them into the weakest part of your defense because that's what the linebackers are. Uh, and Eric Wilson in particular, like he's good against the pass, but he's, you know, he's, he's not a good run stopper. And, you know, Alex Singleton for, for as good of a story as he is, you know, he's just not one of the better linebackers in the NFL. And so that's where the philosophical problem comes here. It's like a matter of what we're trying to do versus the personnel that we have. And given that Jonathan Gannon was saying that he was going to be all about his personnel and shaping the defense accordingly, he's failed through four games to do that. I am shocked that with Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox in the middle of that defense, that they're not just getting run run over, run against. They're getting gassed in the middle. It's not like teams are beating their defense to the outside. They're going right down Main Street on this defense, and there's no counter whatsoever to stop it. I mean, Gannon said uh, that they like to play two linebackers. At this point, I'm willing to play six linebackers if I have to. You know, put 13 men out on the field. I don't care. Take the penalty. Something. Just show that you can stop a running play. I mean, seriously? This is going from bad to worse, man. Yeah, and they, they were only in their base defense for eight snaps against Kansas City where they had more than two linebackers on the field. And so they they clearly were not adjusting to what Kansas City was doing to them. And But you mentioned Cox. I mean, to me, that's one of the bigger stories of the, the first four games yeah. of the yep. season. Like, what's going on? with this guy. Uh, and it's it, when they say that he's being double teamed, like he is, I, I asked uh, ESPN to kind of run the numbers and, and he was right. double teamed for like 71% of, of the snaps um, on pass uh, on passing downs against the chiefs. And so the, they are double teaming him, but you and I have watched him over the years and yep. he's been double teamed for a lot of the, uh, a lot of those snaps. And he finds a way to knife through and just to make like the opponent look like ragdolls and just throw them aside and still be able to create havoc. And when he was given one-on-one opportunities, like it was a, it, it was, oh, play was over. If he got a one-on-one, he just dis- dismantled the, the, the blocker in front of him and he got to the quarterback with a running back. And yet he has zero TFLs. He's got no quarterback hits and he, and when he's taking double teams, it's almost like he's accepting them. Like, I don't know if that's a teaching point, where you know it's a different system and, and maybe they're reading reacting more and maybe they're two gapping more and maybe that has something to do with why he's not knifing through like we used to see that so so maybe we look back again and for for some of that as well but it's not the same Fletcher Cox that we're accustomed to seeing and that's having a huge impact on this defense overall we've seen uh, upper echelon D tackles get double teamed all the time but we also see them making plays, like you just said, knifing through, uh, even holding the point of attack to where somebody else can come up and loop around or something. But uh, there's just something missing from Fletcher Cox. When you're a $100 million D tackle and you have only five tackles in four games, is it is it mental with this guy? Is he physically hurting something they haven't told us about? Or has age finally caught up to Fletcher Cox? We know that he was uh, dealing with an illness last week, and you wonder, did some of that carry over? He apparently lost a lot of weight. Um, so you think maybe these are the kind of factors. But even last year, like he wasn't 
quite, you know, he was better than what he's showing now, but still not quite the, the Fletcher Cox that I think that, that we expect to see on a regular basis. And the coaches are saying uh, the things to kind of pump him up. Oh, the stats are going to come and, and he's still impacting the, the defense and we're not worried about Fletch and all that kind of stuff. But I think Eagles fans are worried about Fletch because like you said, hundred million dollar man. And if, if your star players aren't playing like stars, then you, you find yourself in this kind of situation. I, I hate to say this, but right now I, the Eagles don't have any playmakers on defense. I mean, Eric Wilson got a uh, interception. Okay. The, uh, until then the, they were one of only two teams without an interception on defense. Um, they're still at the bottom of the barrel in terms of forcing turnovers. And how many times did Gannon tell us, um, you know, back in the spring and during training camp that he wants a defense that generates turnovers and they're at the bottom of the barrel in turnovers. And even Darius Slate, you know, I mean, they haven't been hit for any big plays downfield, a lot of big plays downfield, but they're not doing much to help out the offense in terms of generating those turnovers. And it goes back to my initial statement. I don't think they have any playmakers. I mean, Hargrave has played well, but I don't think they have playmakers on this defense right now. Yeah, Hargrave's really the only one that's that's stood out in a in a big way for this defense so far. And uh, and it's it's not a good sign when your coach's basic philosophies and approach is is not coming to fruition. For example, Jonathan Gannon, like you said, I want to be all about creating turnovers, and they're not creating turnovers. That's a problem. When Nick Sariani says I'm all about football IQ and accountability, and you're creating penalties at an historic rate, that's not a good reflection on your coaching staff. Uh, and it's also interesting, Degon, on defense that you can almost draw this like straight line from when uh, Brandon Graham got hurt to yep. the fall off of the defense. I mean, I know he's a good player, and I know what he means from a leadership perspective. But wow, like they have totally fallen off a cliff since since he got hurt. I'm watching a game on Monday night between the Chargers and the Raiders, and I'm watching linebackers coming up filling the gap you know, blowing up running backs in a hole, linebackers blitzing, making plays, linebackers dropping into coverage, you know, deflecting passes away. And I've just, as long as I've covered the Eagles and long as Howie has been in charge, I've just never been able to understand why he doesn't value the linebacking position any more than he does. Do you? Can you give me any kind of perspective that I'm missing on this? I mean, it's, I think it's just a matter of like resource allocation and, and what they believe fundamentally. Like they, they're going to invest in the quarterback position and they're going to uh, invest in the offensive line and they're going to invest in defensive end and they're going to invest in corners. And, and I, you know, I, I get that. Like those are very important positions, but it can't be to this. <laughs> again, we're talking about extremes with this team. Like this is where they yeah, get lost yeah. is when they go, they have this like, core belief and then they just take it like to the moon instead yep. of being you know rational about how far you should take it and and not make it so it's at the expense so much of something else and and that's like linebacker like linebackers are important are they as important as they were in the 80s all right maybe not but they're but they're certainly still impacting uh the nfl and you can see that week to week like you said you turn on a different kind of game and, and uh, I'm also struck by the fact that I was expecting Gannon's defense to be more exotic. I thought that he yes. was going to be showing a lot of different looks and that there was going to be all this disguises that confused quarterbacks. And instead, it seems like he's just lining up in the same old thing every single time to the point of predictability. You know, if, if you come from Mike Zimmer, like, aren't you expecting like some, you know, 
some a gap blitzes and some you know things coming where you don't expect like what's i don't i don't get what what they've been doing on defense you know through this first quarter of the season begun and another big achilles heel they have got to stop the self-inflicted wounds with penalties 13 against the cowboys nine more against the chiefs they are the highest penalized team in the national football league and the coaches now have told us two weeks, well, it's something we need to address. Well, what about the players taking accountability as well for this? I mean, this is getting ridiculous because a number of those plays cost them in situations. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about Hertz's performance. If there weren't those penalties on those three circumstances, he would have had five passing touchdowns this <laughs> game. You know, uh, they took three TDs off the board because of penalties. That's, that's extraordinary. It obviously can't happen. And it's been this point of emphasis now, and yet it's not getting fixed. And so what does that say? Sirianni talking this week was saying that, you know, now like they're getting harsher in their tone, I guess, with the players and in, in respect to this. It's obviously this huge point of emphasis. But but if it's something that is a core principle of yours and and the players aren't adhering to it, I mean, that that starts to become problematic, right? Yeah, exactly. Hey, um, so up next now the Carolina Panthers and the Dallas Cowboys ran the ball 32 times, 34 times for 245 yards against what was Carolina's number one ranked defense in the national football league. So I posed a question out on Twitter and I'm going to ask you the same question. Dallas got 245 rushing yards against Carolina's defense. Can the Eagles get at least half of that? At least half? Is that too much much to ask for, Tim? Half? Maybe <laughs> maybe 20 carries for, uh, you know, a, a, a buck 20, 22.5 or something like that. Is, is that too much to ask? 20 carries for Sanders or total? Total. <laughs> 20, car- 20 carries for the running backs total. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I say 20 for Sanders, that would be like quadrupling the number <laughs> that he's been getting. Uh, yeah, I think that that's absolutely – what they need to be doing a lot more. And I'm not going back to any kind of like ground and pound philosophy, but keep, keep them honest and, and look what other opponents are doing and having success and, and ride off of that. Uh, the ground game, as much as it's going to pain the owner needs to be implemented more into, into their brains. That includes the other side of the ball. Like Gannon's it's going to have to reconfigure his linebackers. I think, you know, I mean, bring Edwards in more, bring in Bradley, bring in somebody can, that can add a little bit of thump. Um, and that can shut a block, you know, can, can that happen? And then on, on the, and maybe bring a safety down at least on occasion so that you're not just inviting, uh, to get gashed over and over and over again. And then on the other side, you know, there's, you, you say over and over that you want to get, uh, Miles Sanders involved. Well, here's your opportunity. I mean, he, here it is to show that, you know, what is on your brain post game after getting smacked around is now being implemented when it matters and that's that's in game action so yeah i mean i who knows if they'll actually hit that number but yes they they definitely should be trying hey hey, everything that you just said about what you thought gannis defense is going was going to be is exactly what carolina does they will bring blitzes from all kinds of places they will give you looks you think you don't know if there was ever a game where jalen hurts is going to have to get the ball out of his hand quick it's this particular game because Carolina has 14 sacks. I believe they still lead the National Football League in sacks with 14, even though they didn't get one against Dallas. And I think this is going to be a good test, a really good test for this Eagles offense going up against this Carolina front seven. Uh, no question about it. And, um, 
you know, this becomes a Jalen Hurts game in that respect. And I think that uh, what Sirianni said post game yep. following the Chiefs game, that is they, you know, the best that he's ever seen him perform in a practice or a game is encouraging. And a lot of that had to do with his decision making. And I think that's one of the things that we're learning about Hertz is that, you know, he is always in the playbook, uh, that he's very intelligent, that he knows what he's doing and that, um, and that he can respond to things that aren't working well, can, can hammer down on those aspects of his game and can show a pr- improvement and that he's very coachable. Uh, and so that kind of brings it back to, you know, what can you expect in Carolina? You know, he's going to have to read all the different things that that Carolina likes to do on defense. It's not an easy defense to go against. Or they come from all different directions and you have to have answers for it. Um, and, you know, one of the most encouraging things that I've seen this season from a from a one in three team is that Hertz kind of gets it from that perspective, is able to able to to adapt um, and and provide some answers in tough situations. That's that's something that's going to be key, you know, now that they're on the road against a, a tough Panthers team. Hey, Tim, final question to you. Um, what was your projected win total for the Eagles before the season began and after watching them through four games? How much has that changed now, if any? So my projected win total was eight. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I had like, you know, people ask me after the, you know, the, the Eagles smacked Atlanta. They're like, you're going to change that now? You're going to move it up? I'm like, well, let's, let's see what happens against San Francisco first. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the one thing that stands out is, is the loss to injury. Like if they're going to hit their ceilings, the offensive line had to stay healthy. And, you know, and the defensive line and, and Brandon Graham's injury, like we talked about, has been huge for this team. And the offensive line seems to be right back into that spin cycle of getting one guy hurt after another guy hurt and, and on all it goes uh, for eternity for this team. Um, so, you know, I think I would probably knock it down like a game or so. I, I do feel like they're going to surprise us with a win here in the next two weeks. I think one of the really? next two games, I think they're going to surprise uh, Carolina can, or Tampa? You can run the tape back when it doesn't happen, D Gum. But it, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm feeling right now is that they're going to have a shock win coming up, and that obviously the road gets easier at the you know down the stretch where where they start yep. playing more division opponents. So I still think they can get to a respectable number of wins. Um, you know, so I'm probably still around kind of like that that seven eight win mark for this team. Hey, I thought they were going to beat the Giants twice, and all of a sudden the Giants rise up and shock New Orleans in it and in New Orleans. But that's the NFL. We don't know what to expect week to week, man. Yeah, that's the point. So even though it looks like a loss on paper, you know, they did hang with the Chiefs for a bit. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll, hopefully they'll start getting healthy for their sake and, and uh, maybe make a surprise win that, that'll get the city buzzing again. Hey, Tim McManus, always uh, appreciate you taking a little time to talk to D-Gun and Gun on One. Uh, you know I'm going to hit you up down the road somewhere. I won't bother you too much because I know you're a busy man. But thank you for hanging out with me for, for a short, short while on this podcast. Always my pleasure. Always my honor to be on with you, D-Gun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And everybody out there, if you listen to anything I say to you, listen to this. I advise you to read Tim McManus' stuff on ESPN.com each and every day, each and every week, because he's an incredible writer insightful, knowledgeable. You won't find anybody better out there than Tim McManus. And also follow him on all the social media platforms. Tim McManus, ESPN.com. Also follow him on Twitter. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of Gun on One, the podcast, powered by Patterson Square Garden. For Tim McManus, I'm Derek Gunn. Everybody out there, stay blessed. And as I tell you each and every week, more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. Until next time, we out of here. 
Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Alvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Alvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.